Welcome to Wild Secrets, brought to you by Wild Talk, Australia's only free counselling service for people working and volunteering with native wildlife. Wild Talk is a registered charity, so all donations are tax deductible. See our website for details. In these episodes, we share ups and downs of working with wildlife, acknowledging while extremely rewarding can bring heartache. There may be tears, laughter, swears, and just a smidgen of learning. I'm your host, Francis Carlton. Today, my guest is Peg McDonald, founder of the Higher Ground Raptor Rehabilitation Centre in the Southern Highlands of New South Wales. She's a Churchill Fellowship, OAM, and highly, highly motivated and passionate about working with raptors. Recently, she retired, we'll use that word loosely, but she retired to the southern end of the south coast and she gifted forward the Raptor Centre to Byron Bay Wildlife Veterinary Hospital and it's now called the Raptor Recovery Centre Australia. Welcome, Peg. Thank you so much for agreeing to talk to me. Oh, no, thank you, Francis. It's it's always, you know, great to be able to talk about our wildlife and and the work that I do with it. So thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. And you've been doing it for such a long time. Your 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 dad was the person that sort of encouraged you. Can you tell us a little bit about your childhood and your love of reptiles? Yeah, my um, my dad was a fairly private person, and nature was his um his solace. And dad and I used to go out on the weekends. Um, on Sundays, we'd go out buying up um, lizards that had damaged themselves. You used to back in those days, sort of sixty years ago. Um, you used <laughs> to be able to just buy lizards from the Sunday papers, and dad and I go and get all the wounded ones and get them better and release them. We had our own licence to do it, all fully authorised and everything back then. So um, I think that's what started it and I just always had that animal love and um, went on to work at Sydney Uni in the vet clinic. I did vet pathology and worked with national parks there when they used to go out doing their um, tagging and there were always joey casualties back then and it's just always been something that's been a part of my life, whether it's been full-time or whether it's been part-time when I've had paid jobs. Mm-hmm. So back back when you were doing vet pathology at Sydney Uni, what, what did that look like? Um, with regards to my job? Yeah. Oh, well, it, it literally was, you know, um, samples were taken from the animals that were coming in through the clinic and um, bacteriology and hematology were my two favourite subjects and I also used to um, work with the vet students which is quite strange because I'm still working with vet students when they <laughs> well not so much now but up until a few months ago when they come on extramural placements to um, the centre that I founded so yeah, um, yeah it's, it's just always been there. Yeah, so this this sort of this immerse immersing yourself in the wildlife and in nature has been has been part of your life. Yeah, your whole and life. still is. It still mm. is. It's it's my solace as well. And um, mm. and when Wise came along, I thought, oh, that's good. There there are other people out there, or there will be other people out there. So I 
um, I gave up my general licence and I did the, the second ever WIRES training course and um, was in WIRES for a, a long, long time. Until you founded the Higher Raptor Rehabilitation Centre or did you do something um, well, before that? Yeah, well, I, I actually um, I went away with the Volunteers Abroad people for a couple of years and I worked in Borneo and I spent time with the orangutans in Sundakan and that was, that was really interesting. And, again, we're going back a long time. Mm. And I, um, I, I came back from that and um, wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do and I went to Bradman Museum to rescue a possum one day and I love cricket and I love history and she said, if you've got any jobs here, let me know. And I was working there the next week and I, oh, okay. I, I rose up through the ranks to become the um, the collections manager and then I worked at the SCG Museum and um, as the assistant curator there and, and just loved it, loved those mm. jobs. And But I, I always, there were always animals in care. I was always running courses or, um, you know, starting up groups, wise groups or it's just always been there. Mm. Mm. Sorry, I Brilliant. probably forgot what your original question was then. But oh, no, don't worry. Don't, don't, don't worry about that. A very, very quick potted history of, 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 the, of the life of Peg. That's amazing. Very, very <laughs> quick. But um, when, I, um, when I was in the Southern Highlands, I, in 1992, I did my first ever uh, raptor rehabilitation course. And... Um, that opened up a whole new world to me. I'd, I'd discovered birds about a year beforehand mm. thanks to a gang-gang cockatoo and I, I'd never done birds before and I just thought because there's this old fallacy that still persists to this day that, you know, put it in a box, see if it's still alive in the morning. Um, birds are just, they're almost like token wildlife um mm. and you either really get them or you just don't get them at all mm. so I thought oh well this is interesting and so I I muddled along for a few years and I put up a few ovaries in my backyard in barrel and um I I about 10 years ago I got an autoimmune problem that that stopped my um my paid work and it changed my life but one of my friends said to me well once you can get over the worst of this I'm going to send you to the Abu Dhabi Falcon Hospital and you can spend a month there and um, really learn about raptors so that eventually happened and I went over there and it just it changed my whole world I realized that so much of what we'd been doing with these birds was pretty much just old historical stuff that wasn't yeah. necessarily correct. It was just, you know, what somebody might have been doing for a few years, and it, it just, um, it, it just really needed improvement. And I, I set out on a mission to, um, to bring Australia up to the the gold star standards that I knew were in place um, in a lot of countries overseas, and that certainly I had witnessed in Abu Dhabi. What, what is it? What is it about? What is it about the 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 falconry that they do in Abu Dhabi that is just brings them to that point where they are almost you know regarded now as the world experts in in raptors. Um, it's it's 
I think it's it's partly it's it's mostly because um, falcons are such a huge part of Emirati life, of Bedouin life. You know, the falcons were the birds that used to support the Bedouins, that would go out and find the food for them. Um, that they are just revered over there because that's that's how they survived by working with their birds and now they're they're family members they're treated as family members they go on planes mm. we've all seen pictures of that their, their falcon gets sick and um they will go to the ends of the earth to get that falcon well again mm. they just um they just have a love and a respect for them that is that is really endearing and i'm talking about um my experience in Abu Dhabi here because it's mm. not like that everywhere. Um, mm. But the Emiratis certainly love their falcons. And it's not just um, people think that I just went over there and I, I worked with pet birds, but um, they have a huge wild bird release program. Um, and that is that is just an extraordinary thing to witness what what they actually do with those birds and how, again, you know, they'll pull out all stops to get them better and to get them fit for release. And that mm. was the big thing that I saw and that really um, stuck with me. We just don't get these birds fit before we release them. Mm. So, and and what is the point? They're hunters. These are. As I always say, they're the athletes of the sky. They need that supreme fitness and mm. they don't have it and we let them go. You know, they might take off on, on an adrenaline burst and over the other side of the hill and drop dead. And mm. we're just, as I've done before, thinking, oh, that was great. Look, I flew all the way over the hill. Go home, have a cup of tea and think, oh, job well done. And a poor bird was probably either dead or dying. Mm. So, yeah. So I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a follower of the uh, Collins Street um, nest in Melbourne each year. Um, are you aware of of the of the the falcons that nest in Collins Street? Yeah. The peregrines, yeah. 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 This this year, um, they raised. Uh, I think it was four, three, four, four, four babies. Um, and they were all they all appeared to be thriving until like the very last like sort of 10 days when one of them was clearly not well. And there was a lot of uproar around the fact that this one baby wasn't assisted in some way, whether it was to, you know, treat it or to take it into care and look after it. How do you feel about the idea of us sort of sitting back and watching a family of peregrines in that sort of situation, do you think it's do you think it's helpful? Do you think it's educational? H how do you feel about it? I think it's. I, I always um, follow, perhaps even more closely, the um, the Sea Eagle Cam at Sydney Olympic Park, and mm. um, you know things happen there that are dramatic and sad. Um, but what what we're doing is watching nature at its absolute rawest. Mm. This is what happens out there, you know, survival of the fittest. Mm. That's a term that we all know and it is exactly spot on. If these birds aren't 100%, there is no – and the parents know what's going on with them. They know whether one baby's just not a thriver or not and mm. um, falls an awful lot too. So – 
Um, I, I, you know, my opinion is, and and this is going to sound very harsh, but if you don't like it, don't look at it. Mm. It's like it's like you know watching David Attenborough documentaries and the lions are chasing after the antelopes or whatever, or there's a baby seal dying on an ice float. I can't look at them. I don't. Yeah. I just yeah. don't look. Yeah. So you know, I know that it's reality. I know that that's what happens out there. But if it's if it's making me sad, don't watch it. Mm. Mm. But, and but course- I know. I know that it happens. So. Yeah. And, I, you know, so I, 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 I didn't wade in on the conversation, I have to confess, but I did sort of read and yeah. sort of, and I kind of was thinking along the same lines as you. But one of the things that I did do, um, because, you know, Wild Talk provides counselling and debriefing services to people who care about wildlife, I did make the offer, you know, if, if watching this vision is distressing to you and you want to call us, please do. Nobody took us up on it. Um, but... Um, it, it was quite interesting that it was one of those, it was absolutely heartbreaking. It was amazing that three of the four absolutely took off and thrived and, you know, hopefully go on to have long, long lives. And But I find it amazing in the day of social media that we are getting so many more of these live cams of of. Of, of animals of interest, which, of course, raptors are certainly high up on the list. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's one of the things that these um, these cameras do provide us with that, that as I say, that, that raw insight into nature. And it shows people like, well, I, I, you know, it would be surprising if all three of those peregrines had gone on to, to thrive um that's why they have more than one chick so that they Mm. they have a better chance of at least getting one through but it Mm. introduces people to the the world of well in this instance birds of prey Mm. and it's not something that generally most especially city folk get to engage in Mm. so i i think the cameras are fabulous from those perspectives there's another one at orange and yes that didn't do well this year either so um well, you know mm. that's that's a shame, but um, yeah. Mm. Thank you, thank you for your insight um, in that because it's it's a it's a conversation that I've that I've been wanting to have for quite some time, and you know during that time I tend to have it if you know I tend to have it on in the background, just sort of keeping an eye on them, and because um, I find I find it absolutely fascinating. Um, yeah, it's it's also sorry to interrupt. No, no, it wasn't. But it's also I find it essential viewing in that it's the best training as a raptor rehabilitator you can get with regards to chicks you know Mm. how much are they being fed how often are they being fed Mm. what size pieces of foods are they being fed um when are they swapping over to different types of food there's Mm. a range of things that you can learn from watching those parents and watching the chicks growing normally Yes. That you just can't learn about otherwise. So yes. you know the the um, the onset of the cameras has been very very useful in lots of ways for rehabbers. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. I have to admit, as you know, from that sort of um, 
from from my perspective, it's almost like a sort of a, a curiosity, natural sort of thing to yeah. be. But I hadn't thought about the, the the immense benefit that it would bring to people who are actually caring for these animals. It's fascinating. Yeah, no, yeah. It, it absolutely does. So yeah, it's, and so yeah. having so having those has that changed the way? Is that changed the way you work with with your with your raptors? Um, with with chicks in some ways yes but we we strive very 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 hard not to take chicks into care they you know their parents will do a million percent better job than we can ever do and mm. the birds have a much better chance with their parents so if you can get them back with the parents even if it's a week later or it's two weeks later or we've just done a little kestrel a month later and he's been fine back with his parents straight away Mm. um you know they do the best job um having a chicken care is is an enormous responsibility to make sure that it doesn't get humanized or even worse imprinted and that you raise it correctly on a Mm. correct diet and you're moving it along at its natural stages so Mm. um even though it's a rare occurrence to have to do that absolutely with um peregrines and sea eagles watching the cams oh yeah it's great it's great oh bald eagles (laughs) yeah yes well yeah there's heaps of those i mean we don't get many bald well i wouldn't imagine we get many bald eagles in australia but um no (laughs) what about what about what about wedge tails how many are they something you see often in care Oh, wedgies are probably the most common species I have in care. Um, well, I had while I yeah. was still at, at what was high ground raptors. Um, yeah. I have one in care down here in Pambula. I mean, I'd only been here for a few days and a wedgie came in. Um, right. So they just, yeah, they, 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 they do seem to come in quite frequently. But what I'm really enjoying down here is watching my local wedgies who, seem to be um, as fascinated with me as I am with them and they're around every day and circling about and it's it's just really nice watching watching yeah. them out in the wild yeah I, I I remember the first time I ever saw a wedgetail eagle I was driving across the hay plain and so I was dro- moving from South Australia to Sydney sort of about a year or so after we'd moved to Australia and I was driving across the hay plain and I could see this big mass in the road in the haze in, in front of me. And as I got closer, I could see that it was birds. And I was like, what, what, they're, they're enormous. What are, what are they? And as I got closer, 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 they all sort of tried, you know, they were desperately trying to get off the ground as quickly as possible. And under, the, under them was this kangaroo. Yeah. And so I, I stopped the car and I, I pulled the kangaroo off the road. And they sort of watched and waited and sort of in in, in my rearview mirror, I saw them come back down as a as a truck basically came through, which would have just they just would not have got off the road quick enough. And that was yeah. my first that was my first encounter with with Wedgetail Eagles. And just I just was absolutely, you know, stunned and amazed at the size of them. Yeah, they 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 really are extraordinary birds from so many different perspectives, and they're probably my favourite bird to release because um they actually have this this way of um it's like they're thanking you. 
they mm. will just circle around and around and around and um, um be, you know then come down so close and then go up a bit higher again and be constantly looking at you and they're they're just absolutely magic to mm. um they, they I mean they don't obviously don't all do that but an awful lot of them do mm. especially if you've spent a lot of time with them and they've been really unwell yeah um they they just um yeah they're incredibly intelligent creatures. So there's a there's a way of acknowledging that they sort of understand or do yeah. understand what you've done. I'm I'm sure a lot of people might not agree, but <laughs> I'm a hundred percent sure that you form this this temporary bond with them that allows you to do things like, you know, giving them injections and giving them tablets and hand feeding them, and I have to have them sort of sitting in between my legs so that I have both my hands free to do that. And yeah. they, yeah, they absolutely know. Mm. So they mm. will, um, yeah. They, mm, it's amazing. Very special. Yeah. So when you, when you were over, um, when you were over in Abu Dhabi, one of the things that you, you did that a number of times, what was it about yeah. the the round the round aviaries versus the rectangular classical shape aviary that we that you tend to see with um, bird care? Yeah, um, the round aviaries that if they're done correctly, um, and uh, that the part of that correctness involves having a, a central pavilion in the middle of the aviary, so the birds don't actually see an endpoint when they're flying. And it allows them um, continuous flight. They can fly as long as they like at whatever speed they like. And peregrines are probably the best at this in in the round aviaries because I've 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 seen them doing ten kilometer laps at seventy kilometers an hour, and that and you can you can work it out with peregrines and and how well they're flying because they'll fly so close to the shade cloth on the edges of the aviary Um, and and that still won't replicate what they do in the wild obviously but it gives them you know even like a a 20 meter or something rectangular aviary and shuffling them from one end to the other end a few times a day Um, it it just um, when I saw them flying in the aviaries over there that was that was my first thing okay I have to put one of these up Um, and, and I have to make our raptor rehabilitation standards better, better for the birds and better for the carers. So, So, and where did Dr. Peter Spitzer come into the, the, the round aviary that it's named after? Yeah, Peter was, um, he was my doctor and he was my friend and he was also a Churchill fellow and it was his constant encouragement that, um, um, was the reason I applied for a Churchill Fellowship. But Peter um, Peter saw me through a lot of really hard times battling to, to move forwards with Raptor Care with mm. various organisations. And um, he, yeah, he just always had my back. Um, and when I started to get physically sick as well as mentally sick, Peter was the one that, sort of saw me through all that and um, and finally the round ivory started to take shape 
And we were both so excited about it. And Peter was, there you go, there you go. Have you applied for this church or fellowship yet? And I'm like, no, I won't get one. And it's like, well, you won't if you don't apply. And um, anyway, then Peter got very sick and um, passed on within a few months and um, sadly missed the opening of the Avery. His whole family was in attendance there, but I named it after him because he was the inspiration um, that just yeah, was behind me all the mm. time. And and after he passed, um, the applications for that year's fellowship came up and um, the only reason I applied was because I'd always promised him that I would one day and, um, and yeah, and I was successful. So <laughs> so, so what, what is a Churchill Fellowship? What does it involve? Churchill Fellowship, it, it's obviously named after Sir Winston Churchill and it was it was started when um, Sir Winston uh, was an elderly man and he was asked what you know what would you like that people can remember you by and um, his suggestion was a fellowship. And so when he passed, people in all the Commonwealth countries were asked to donate a I think it was a penny or something. I should know this, but I think it was a penny yeah. <laughs> um, to get to get the fellowship started, and they raised an enormous amount of money, um, and it's still going to this day. And they're open to absolutely anyone. You don't have to be a professor or a doctor or a scientist. Um, anyone can apply, and the idea is that the places that you would like to journey to have information that isn't available in Australia. So you go over there, you learn, you do interviews. In in my case, I actually worked at each place I went to, which was why, oh, I've never been so exhausted in my life. I, I didn't realise just how tiring it would be, especially all the, the plane trips. But in yeah. hindsight, it was the best thing I could have done. And then... Um, on your return home, you put in a, a report, which was um, one of the most difficult things I think I've ever had to write, <laughs> but um, it was incredibly well received and thankfully well received by um, our National Parks and Wildlife. And we started chugging forwards with, um, you know, up upgrading our bird of prey rehabilitation standards we're working on new courses yeah there's a there's a lot of exciting stuff happening so mm. um yeah it, it was absolutely a game changer for me and I couldn't encourage anyone more strongly than to you know if you have a dream apply for one you might have to apply again and again and again but um <laughs> yeah. yeah keep going keep trying so so where did where did you go and where did you work as part of your fellowship to to, to discover more? I went to uh, I did a lot of research and I spoke to um, both the late Jerry Olson and Stephen Debus, um, who are well known raptor, um, shall we say, scientists um, in Australia and especially in New South Wales, and. Um, we came up with, I went to the Carolina Raptor Centre. I then went up to um, the University of Minnesota and the Gabbett Raptor Centre there and 
then on to um, the Raptor Centre in Sitka in Alaska and over to Nova Scotia and then to Abu Dhabi and then up to um, South Africa. And um, my main aim was to look at pre-release flight conditioning and Mm. just see how some of these really good gold star places were actually achieving that and particularly to look at um, the only other place that I found with a round ovary and that was the Quebecwood um, Wildlife Rehab Centre in Nova Scotia. Mm. So, um, but having said that, there was such enormous interest in the round ovaries when I was away that one of those places has actually built one since. So, so Abu Dhabi, Falcon so did, Hospital are very much so, responsible for that. Yeah, We've got so, more going up in New South Wales as I speak. So, um, yeah, so that's 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 been a really pleasing result as well. Yeah, and so just the, the very process of you doing this Churchill Fellowship and travelling and looking at pre-release conditions actually inspired one of the places that you visited to put one in. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was, um, yeah, it was a, it was a just a fabulous journey, and I'm still in touch with every single one of the places that I visited. So um, it's you know it's well and truly been an international collaboration, and mm. so much of their knowledge has been um, now forwarded on out here, which is mm. you know what is supposed to happen. You don't just go yeah. away to have a holiday. Yeah, so, um, and, and Francis, it doesn't I'm, sound like a holiday at all. <laughs> yeah, no, it, and they do encourage you, have a break, have a break, and yeah. I didn't. I was totally stupid. I was so engrossed in it and I just I just wanted to gather up so much knowledge. It was like I don't need a break, I don't need a break, and, yeah, I got to Abu Dhabi and I just about collapsed. It was, yeah. How long, were you, on, how long were you on the road for? Uh, two months. Wow, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it was ten weeks. Yeah, ten, it was week, ten weeks. Yeah, wow. So, Big, you know, you've done some, you've done all this amazing work and all this amazing research. I'm, I'm wondering, in in all the years that you've been caring for and working with wildlife, how have you managed your own mental and physical health? Initially, I didn't, and then when I fell in a heap, I realised that okay. I think I need to learn some um, some techniques and get some strategies under my belt here. So, and we've we've spoken about um, Peter Spitzer, and Peter mm. was helping me through some very tough mental times. Um, and one of his suggestions was to engage with the Quest for Life Foundation out at Bundamoon, which thankfully was only 20 minutes from where I was living, and that was founded by the amazing Patria King and um, Wendy Robatho. And I I took myself out there and I did one of their um, five-day-long courses and realised, okay, I need to, um, yeah, I need to to change some attitudes here and to start spending time on myself and which I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> nice idea though. <laughs> yeah, great idea. Um, but I did start meditating 
And that's something that I have never, ever, ever stopped doing um, from the get-go, from the first time I went out there. And that's that's my peace time. I do it every morning. I do it every evening. Um, I, if it means, I, you know, I don't read something or watch something or whatever, meditation is, is important to me. And mm. it keeps me settled and it keeps me calm and it keeps me focused. And uh, that's pretty much what got me back on track again was mm. just that I, uh, you know, I learned that there's this really simple little thing that you can do that um, that will just, you know, change your world literally. Mm. So, mm. so that's my big one. As far as exercise goes, I, I've always been, uh, you know, the push bike rider, the the exercise freak, the the walker, the tai chi person, the everything else. Um, until about the last six months when my rheumatoid just went berserko mm. um, and now I'm really struggling to exercise even with my exercise physiologist and I'm noticing such a difference. I mean, I will get back into it again mm. and I know that a, a lot of it I'm, I'm going to have to start from, you know, baby steps again. But I, I, I yeah, ex- exercise and meditation are my two big things. Mm. So, and being in nature, and and part of being in nature is meditating anyway. So, mm. um, that's 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 what's pulled me through on lots and lots and lots of occasions. And I'm a lot better now at um, trying very hard not to take things personally. Mm. Um, trying very hard not to get super. Super upset when you know people bang you on the head and say unpleasant, nasty things and accuse you of being cruel to the birds and oh, on and on and on it goes. Um, yeah. I think you just have to keep your focus and your belief. And the the other really, um, really nice thing is when people believe in you and they tell you they believe in you. And then they show you that they believe in you by, you know, giving you fellowships and scholarships and sending you to different places and um, even raising the money for the first free flight, Avery. You know, that wasn't an easy task, but my builder was on board with me. I was ready to go and, you know, I did it. It's mm. just, um, it. it's just. And that was because people believed in the project and we built it in such a way that, mm. oh, I say we built it, you know, I stood there and watched. Um, <laughs> you you, pro- you project managed it, Peg. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, how many rolls of this do I need? How many times of what? Yeah. Which one? <laughs> No, yeah. no, isn't it the other one? Oh, God. and of course, and of it, course, you've also been you've also been recognised with an Order of Australia as well. Yeah, that was really yeah, that was really lovely, and it was it was that was just a few months ago, and it, again, you know, I'm mm. not one for accolades. It's it's nice, it's lovely, and I really appreciate it. But it did showcase the work and the need. And that's what's really important to me, mm. that, you know, there was an awareness that this was something that needed to be done and um, that's it's been done now and, 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 and there was an acknowledgement. And, 
Mm. You know, there's a lot of people who've held my hands on, on this road that I've been on. You know, some have gone by the wayside, but yes. <laughs> a lot of them are still there and um, and and they care about me and that's, you know, that's another thing that gets you, um, yeah, mm. keeps you going when the going gets tough. Yeah, so. yeah. And so now, so the Raptor Centre is in the Southern Highlands. You've now moved down, you've now moved down to the coast, like the southern end of the south coast. And and so what's what's happening what's happening with the Raptor Center now? Well, I came to the real I mean the fires were horrendous. Yeah. They were something that challenged me in ways you just can't ever prepare for. Um and they also I guess were the catalyst in me starting to think no matter how many vet students I have on extramural placements, no matter how many young people I have out there helping, there's going, nobody wants to take over from me. You know, people don't want to do and aren't in a position to do voluntary work as Mm. much these days. So it was sort of like, oh, do I need to start thinking about this? And then I thought, oh, I don't know. <laughs> mm. And um, then I had a visit from um, the CEO of the Byron Bay um, Wildlife Hospital and Steve came down primarily to look at the aviaries and one of his questions was, what's your succession plan? And, you know, it was like, well, I've tried this and I've tried this. And I'm very mindful of the fact that none of us last forever and that I'll fall off the perch one day. And um, because my days were probably 12, 14-hour days cleaning, feeding, going to get the food, washing mm. dirty stuff, you know, it was it was very full on, and that's hard when you're not the healthiest person on the planet. Yeah, and um, well, that's so not, anyway, that's not even that's not even easy when you are the healthiest person on the planet. <laughs> no, no, but I have this drive yeah. that doesn't let me stop. So anyway, long story short, um, I I sold my my wonderful house and my beautiful property to. Um, uh, an amazing man who's been a, a benefactor for um, Wildlife Recovery Australia and the Byron Bay Wildlife Hospital have uh, are gifted forward the High Ground Raptor Centre to them. Um, I am their mentor um, and I'm mentoring a, a lovely young lady that I've actually worked with at what was higher grounds for a couple of years mm. um, and she and I talk every day about the birds that are in care and what, what what's happening there and the way forward with things and um, they're, you know, they're, they're going to keep it going into the future. That's my dream and I believe that they will be able to do that. So mm. it means that, you know, if, if I sort of, suddenly didn't wake up one morning then it wouldn't have just all turned into somebody's big chook pens or something or yeah. or got bulldozed which would have been dreadful for the people that you know contributed to to building the center and um and dreadful for the birds so it's mm. uh it's a happy it's 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 a happy medium it, it was bittersweet giving up somewhere that I absolutely loved and I loved working with the birds 
Um, but all the peripheral stuff was incredibly draining and, um, yeah, the time just came. So it was like, here you go, you can be the new custodians. And it was great. They're a great bunch of people and, and like I say, I'm, I, I have great confidence that they'll, they'll see it um, continue on forever mm. and ever. <laughs> so I'm yeah I, I'm down here down the coast and within a week of coming coming here I had a wedge-tailed eagle that's that's in care at the moment but my my intention down here is to get my raptor rehab book get and get all the knowledge that's in my head um, onto paper and mm. to um, help national parks with a few projects that they've they've got happening with regards to our birds of prey and um, get training courses going and yeah work oh, so you're not angle. so you're just so you're just going to take it easy then peg by the sounds of things <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was the plan <laughs> but but the, but it but it isn't it isn't as as difficult as i may have just made it sound because i'm in the most amazing spot and i can sit on my veranda and i can watch the eagles and i do that at, at, at in the southern highlands i I didn't have the time. I just never had the time to sit around um, watching things like that. But here I do. Mm. Oh, there's my wedgies. Oh, I just go out and watch them for a while. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, it's 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 really lovely. But there's still work to be done, and that's that's part of my mission. I th- I believe that's why I'm here on the planet to mm. to be an advocate for these birds. And um, you know, so many people are in embracing the the good changes and that's um that makes me very happy there's still a way to go but can't do everything in one lifetime and what an amazing what an amazing life and legacy you're leaving behind well i'm i'm oh thank you very much for saying that and i and i say that with with genuine gratitude but to me it just feels like as i've said this is what i'm here to do this mm. is my job um mm. and yeah, yeah, it's the the amount of joy that I've got from working with these birds and especially as I, I spoke of before with the releases is it it, it it mentally makes up for all the hard times, physically mm. maybe not so <laughs> um, because I have definitely contributed to my, my health issues, um, you know, stress. Stress has done that. Mm. There's there's no way around stress when you're a wildlife carer, but you do need to learn your ways of dealing with it so that you don't end up with chronic health issues like I've got. If I'd if I'd been to Quest for Life um, five years before I went, I probably wouldn't have ended up with these issues. But um, you know, I, I'm grateful. I, I very much have the attitude that. Um, you know, if if something's going wrong, look at the things that are going right. Um, count so, your blessings, as they so, say. And so you would, so you would, you would recommend that wildlife carers seek mental health support to find those strategies that help them. Absolutely, if if they're struggling, it, it's the same with anyone. If you're struggling, there is support out there. Um, so yeah. seek seek it and work with it because there are people that are there that that want to help you. But don't burden yourself with too much. Too don't get involved in all the all the dreadful politics. Don't 
my greatest downfall was always trying to help someone else. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that's like, and that's exactly what Wild Talk is there for. It's there to help help you yeah, help yourself. Yeah. 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 No. Go go to the profession. There's so much more help out there now than there ever was before. Yes. Um, you guys would have been the first people I would have called on sort of 10, 15 years ago when the going got really tough. But, um, yeah, mm. it's it's just good that we're being recognised as a group of people, some of whom mm. have done this for such a long period of time um, mm. with very little help, with, you know, spending all your own money, spending all your own superannuation. Yep. Just, yeah, yeah. So um, it's – but it's it's a passion it and is. you can't let go of it once you start if, if you know, if, if you've got the bug then then you're in it for the long haul but there are you know it's really nice that there are so many ways these days that you can um absolutely avoid that burnout Mm. Mm. well thank you so much lots of good work yeah, thank you so much. I'm going to let you go and watch your wedgies circling around your new home. <laughs> oh, they're, they're not actually there at the moment, but <laughs> that's all right. There are plenty of other birds out there. But I no, think I think I can hear bellbirds. Is that kind of what I can hear you in the can. background? Good yeah, spotting. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they're lovely little creatures. Yeah, they're, they're really, they're really, aren't... really hard to spot. Really hard to spot. You can hear them, but hard to yeah. spot. Yeah. They're, they're they're very shy little birds, but um, mm. their their voice is just uh, yeah, it's just glorious. But this mm. is just bird haven around here. There's a river and there's a creek, and um, I'm, I I just love it. And I I think I really hadn't understood just how hard I was pushing myself and and pushing myself for so long mm. until I stopped that. And it's still hard now. Like I say, it's bittersweet, but it's. It's a different kind of heart. Mm. <laughs> so it's a realisation that we don't all last forever. So get out there and get done what you can and, um, yeah, mm. move on to Wonderful. the next stage. That's a bit easier on older bones. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Peg. It's been an absolute delight. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you to my guest, Peg McDonald, C-F-O-A-M. I have been Francis Carlton, your host of Wild Secrets. Thank you to you, the listener, for listening. And thank you to Nick McCorriston, our sound guy, for making this sound so wonderful. Look forward to speaking to you again soon. Bye-bye.